Good morning and welcome to Let's Talk Wyoming. We'd like to start today's show saluting the United States of America with the playing of the National Anthem. So glad you joined us today. Nothing like getting our day started with the National Anthem. In today's show, we'll talk about weather and a Wyoming rainmaker. We'll talk politics, energy, and sports. And we'll have our Wyoming travel section, along with the history of April Fool's Day. And we have a Wyoming favorite closing our show. Thanks for joining us today. Taking a look at Wyoming weather here on the 29th day of March. About 45 degrees outside. Definitely jacket weather. And that's after having a mid-70s here in Wyoming yesterday. There were red flag warnings for northeast Wyoming with fire danger with these dry conditions. We do have clouds out there. Haven't seen any type of moisture fall yet. I know later in the week we're looking at potential snow mixed with rain coming up. Hopefully we can get something out of that as our dry conditions continue on. Reading today from T.A. Larson's History of Wyoming, I thought this pertained to where we are today. Wyoming people followed with great interest the activities of one Frank Melbourne, an Irishman who had come to the United States by the way of Australia and New Zealand. He first attracted attention as a rainmaker at Canton, Ohio. In August 1891, he transferred his activities to Wyoming. After failing to deliver more than a sprinkle in Casper, he moved to Cheyenne, where he agreed to produce one-half an inch of rain within three days for $150. He set up shop in the loft of a stable, permitting no one to watch his operation. Smoke issued from a hole in the roof of the loft. Before the expiration of the 72-hour period, two thunderstorms delivered a half-inch of rain. Melbourne collected the $150 and was lionized in Cheyenne and enjoyed much favorable publicity all over the country. Locally, some people scoffed. Others were skeptical and required further proof, while still others became firm believers. After a few days of delay to placate ranchers who wanted to complete their hang, Melbourne was offered $100 if he could produce another half inch of rain. This time he failed. He soon left the city to carry on other rainmaking experiments in Utah, Idaho, Kansas, and Texas. In June 1892, he was back in Cheyenne under another contract. 
Again, he works secretly, this time from a more elevated perch in the dome of the Capitol building. He soon claimed credit for rains at Rollins and other distant places, but the Cheyenne Committee insisted on precipitation closer to Cheyenne, which he could not produce. He left Cheyenne without his pay, regarded by most of the citizens as a fraud. So I guess maybe today we might want to start putting together that 100 or $150 and find our very own Rainmaker of 2022. Taking a look at Wyoming politics, in a report from Wyoming Public Radio by Bob Beck, Governor Mark Gordon allowed Wyoming's new districting law to become law without his signature last Friday. Gordon said he didn't sign the bill, noting that it was out of deviation in some places. Gordon said the bill changed significantly in the final days of the legislative session, but allowed the bill to become law so that the upcoming elections would not be negatively impacted. The legislation adds one senator and two representatives to the legislature, which will now stand at 93 total. It remains to be seen whether a lawsuit will be filed to challenge the map. In other Wyoming political news, Anthony Bouchard is back in the news. In an article in the Cowboy State Daily by Ellen Pike, Bouchard, a Republican from Cheyenne, continued Wednesday to fire shots, saying a fundraiser held recently in Washington, D.C. for Hageman shows her reliance on the same sources for campaign donation as Cheney. Hageman's latest campaign ad slams Cheney for ties to the swamp and home in Virginia. Hageman then goes on to the same D.C. swamp for support and to raise money, he said, posting the fundraising announcement. Further his point, Bouchard mentioned that Hageman has owned a home in the District of Columbia since 2019. A spokesman for Hageman's campaign said she bought the home as part of her work with a nonprofit legal firm fighting for conservative causes. In his usual colorful language, Bouchard told Cowboy State Daily that Hageman's home ownership in Washington should be a telling to all Wyoming voters. It exposed her as a Beltway swamp critter feeding at the D.C. trough, he said on Wednesday. Hageman's campaign manager, Carly Miller, told the Cowboy State Daily on Wednesday that the congressional candidate was born and raised in Wyoming and has been fighting for the water, property, and constitutional rights of the people in the state for the bulk of her professional career. In 2019, Harriet took a telecommunication position with a nonprofit law firm in Washington, D.C., where she has been fighting vaccine mandates, RFID ear tag mandates, the bump stock ban, and against other government abuses, at no charge to the clients. Miller said, mentioning that Hageman's condo is 550 square foot on the third floor of a building without an elevator. Harriet is proud of the fact that her future conservative colleagues in Congress have rallied behind her candidacy because that means she will be actually being able to do something to get things done when she represents Wyoming in the House, she continued. Cheney spokesman Jeremy Adler declined comment. Taking a look at Wyoming energy, the total rig count for the U.S. is 670 this week. 253 rigs higher than the rig count this time in 2021. Oil rigs in the United States rose by 7 rigs to 531, while gas rigs stayed the same at 137. 
Wyoming currently has 15 rigs in the air. Today, oil is trading at $100 and natural gas is at $560, while gasoline is at $319. This is a drop in earlier trading as the market has reacted to inventory numbers and the administration's plan to release 1 million barrels a day from the Strategic Oil Reserve to help with prices. Just recently, the administration had released 40 million barrels to address this problem. Devon CEO and five other oil leaders agreed to testify at House hearings. While Devon Energy was one of the three oil and gas companies that declined this week to take part in one Democratic-led House committee hearing into rising energy prices, the company's leader is expected to take part in another House committee hearing in early April. Devon's president and CEO, Richard Moncrief, is expected to be part of the April 6th hearing by a subcommittee of the House Energy and Conference Committee. He and leaders of five other oil companies reportedly have agreed to take part in the hearings. The Subcommittee on Oversight and Investigation of the Committee on Energy and Commerce will hold a hybrid hearing that includes both in-person and remote attendance on Wednesday, April 6, at 10.30 a.m. The hearing is entitled, Gouge at the Gas Station, Big Oil and America's Pain at the Pump. It's rather interesting to take that in. I'm sure we can get that on C-SPAN. Be, be some good listening. In other area news, from a press release from ExxonMobil, no one was reported injured in a Montana ExxonMobil petroleum refinery explosion on Saturday night. The refinery is located east of Billings. And finally today, liquefied natural gas, or LNG, is in the news. And it's definitely the hot ticket topic. We are looking at supplying to the European countries liquefied natural gas to supplement their loss of gas from the Nord Stream pipeline. A lot of news on that, and we're looking at one-tenth of their supply will be moved over there. It's going to take a little bit of time to get facilities in place, so it's just something we aren't going to start doing today. But it's good news for the state of Wyoming, adding additional markets for our natural gas supply here in the state of Wyoming. Taking a look at Wyoming agriculture, our livestock producers are starting to put plants together, as we've talked about in previous shows, looking for some grass, hoping for some rainy conditions. The reports have been that the feedlot numbers are up. Uh, the latest USDA cattle on feed revealed on March 1st that feedlot inventory was at 12.163 million heads, a record level for March for the data series back to 1996. So kind of some of the issues we talked about earlier with this drought, it can affect a lot of lot of people, a lot of our prices. And depending on weather and grass availability throughout the Midwest, that will have a major impact on the plans going forward. So I know we're looking for rain. I hope that we can get that rain brought in here and get some grass growing here in the state of Wyoming. On the farmer side, the farmers are definitely out in the fields getting crops planted right now. A lot of activity taking place. A lot of planting will, will continue on through March into April as they continue their operations. At the International Commodity Exchange, sugar prices fell to 19.2 cents per pound here at the end of March, up uh, from the three-month high of 19.9 touched on March 7th. So, again, a little bit of a retreat on that sugar price. Fertilizer is definitely higher, and we've talked about it in previous shows. MAP is now 45% more expensive. 1034 is 47% higher. 
DAP is 58% higher. UA28 is 84% higher. UA32, 89% higher. Urea is 92% higher. Potash, 99, and just ammonia is 127% higher. I guess just the tune of everything anymore, everything we look at, whether it's in whatever industry you're looking at, higher prices. Also, kind of an interesting fact, I've noticed that there seems to be a little bit shortage of chicken in the stores, poultry products. And from a report on March 28th from the USDA, they reported a spike in highly pathogenic avian flu in March that infected nearly 13 million birds, bringing the total of depopulated birds to roughly 14.5 million since the first commercial and backyard cases were reported in February. So, Bad news for the poultry producers because you end up having to get rid of those birds. You incur quite a loss. And, of course, then the supply chain takes a big bump trying to get those uh, poultry numbers back up and back into the market. Also, finally today, for all you fans of the Yellowstone series, the and you'll recognize from the show the 6666 Ranch down in Texas. It was sold recently for $192.2 million to a group headed up by Taylor Sheridan, the creator and producer of the Yellowstone series. Looks like that they definitely own a lot of Texas now. Taking a look at Wyoming sports in an abbreviated section today, the Wyoming Cowgirls season came to an end as they fell to the UCLA Bruins Saturday night at the Doma Doom. And again, previous game against Tulsa, they won in three overtimes. And again, this game went to three overtimes. Just unbelievable. The Cowgirls had a valiant effort, just came up short in that third overtime and dropped out of the WNIT. Great effort by the ladies. And you look at their three games they played in the tournament, they played seven overtimes. So they did play a lot of basketball as well done. In other news, the Wyoming Cowgirl basketball coach, Gerald Matson, has resigned, or retired, I should say. He's going to move on, spend a little bit more time with his family. Associate head coach Heather Easel will take over as the new head coach. So congratulations, coach. Heather comes from a background of college basketball. She came from Iowa State University, which is a powerhouse in the Big 12. She's been an assistant coach for a lot of years for the Cowgirls, so good choice. Good luck to the Cowgirls going into next year. And finally, the Wyoming Cowboy football team started their spring practices this week. All those practices will accumulate with the spring game set for Saturday, April 30th at 2 p.m. at War Memorial Stadium. Continue on this week with our travel feature. Last week, we had discussed the Chief Joseph Highway trip north of Cody, Wyoming, and we wanted to build on the trip today by adding the Beartooth Highway to your journey. The Beartooth Highway has some of the best views you'll take in an elevation of 10,947 feet as it winds through mountain peaks. The highway is usually open Memorial Day to October 15th. Going down the highway at times can be a challenge for the faint of heart but there are plenty of stops along the way. The highway goes into Red Lodge, Montana, where you can go east to Belfry, Montana, and then head back south to Cody, Wyoming. On our Bighorn Mountain trip from Ranchester, Wyoming, heading west after climbing up the mountain, you'll come to Burgess Junction, and from this point, you can continue on to Shell, Wyoming, which is on US-14, or you can take the US-14A that heads over to Lovell, Along this route, you can take in the Medicine Wheel 
a sacred Native American site. A note on travel on 14A. It is closed from October through May. And finally, in a press release from the Wyoming State Geological Survey, the Wyoming State Geological Survey has launched a new web map showcasing roadside geology to see when traveling to Yellowstone National Park. Yellowstone became the world's first national park in 1872. The unique geology found inside the park is a big attraction, bringing millions of tourists to Wyoming every year. However, the Cowboy State has plenty of other fascinating geology to see on the way to the park. In celebration of the 150th anniversary of Yellowstone National Park, the Wyoming State Geological Survey developed an interactive web map showcasing some of the roadside geology along different routes through the state on the way to Yellowstone. The web-based application can be viewed on a mobile device or desktop and is free to access. From Old Faithful to the Mammoth Terrace, there's incredible geology found in the park, says Christina George, Outreach and Publication Manager. The goal of this map, however, is to highlight the unbelievable geology you can see as you are getting to the park, enhancing road trips for residents and visitors. More than 50 sites dot the map, ranging from well-known places like Devil Tower to colorful badlands, meandering rivers, majestic mountain ranges, and remarkable rock formations. Some stops, such as state parks, have visitor centers or highway pullouts that can be accessed, while others, like the red beds north of Rollins, are more suitable to view while simply driving by. There are interpretive signs at some of the sites, and many of the write-ups on the app include links to external websites that offer more information. And finally today, April Fool's Day. Celebrated on April 1st, according to the History Channel. It has been celebrated for several centuries by different cultures, though its exact origins remain a mystery. While its exact history is shrouded by mystery, the embrace of April Fool's Day jokes by the media and major brands has ensured the unofficial holiday's long life. Some historians speculate that April Fool's Day date backs to 1852 when France switched from the Julian calendar to the Gregorian calendar as called for by the Council of Trent in 1563. In the Julian calendar, as in the Hindu calendar, the new year began with the spring equinox around April 1st. People were slow to get the news or failed to recognize that the start of the new year had moved to January 1st and continued to celebrate it during the last week of March through April 1st became the butt of jokes and hoaxes and were called April Fools. Historians have also linked April Fool's Day to festivals such as Hilaria, Latin for joyful, which was celebrated in ancient Rome at the end of March by followers of the cult of Cybella. It involved people dressing up in disguises and mocking fellow citizens and even magistrates and was said to be inspired by the Egyptian legend of Isis, Osiris, and Seth. There's also speculation that April Fool's Day was tied to the vernal equinox on the first day of spring in the northern hemisphere when Mother Nature fooled people with changing unpredictable weather. April Fool's Day spread throughout Britain during the 18th century. In Scotland, the tradition became a two-day event. In modern times, people have gone to great lengths to celebrate April Fool's Day, with many hoaxes played. Newspaper, radio, and TV stations and websites have participated in the April 1st tradition of reporting outrageous fictional claims that have fooled their audiences. 
1957, the BBC reported that Swiss farmers were experiencing a record spaghetti crop and footage showed of people harvesting noodles from trees. In 1985, Sports Illustrated writer George Plimpton tricked many readers when he ran a made-up article about a rookie pitcher named Sid Finch who could throw a fastball over 168 miles per hour. In 1992, National Public Radio ran a spot with former President Richard Nixon saying he was running for president again, only it was an actor, not Nixon, and the segment was an all-April Fool's Day prank that caught the country by surprise. In 1996, Taco Bell, the fast food restaurant chain, duped people when it announced it had agreed to purchase Philadelphia's Liberty Bell and intended to rename it Taco Liberty Bell. In 1998, after Burger King advertised a left-handed Whopper, scores of clueless customers requested the fake sandwich. Google notoriously hosts an annual April Fool's Day prank that has included everything from telepathic search to the ability to pay Pac-Man on Google Maps. What's your April Fool prank? Thanks, everyone, for joining us today, and we hope you enjoyed our show. As per the Code of the West... We ride for the brand, and we ride for Wyoming here at Let's Talk Wyoming, your everything Wyoming podcast.